exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In the news today, in national news, a federal judge has issued a nationwide injunction stopping the enforcement of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, ending the military's 17-year-old ban on openly gay troops, according to the Associated Press. U.S. District Judge Virginia Phillips' landmark ruling today was widely cheered by gay rights organizations that credit her with getting accomplished what President Obama and Washington politics could not. U.S. Department of Justice attorneys have 60 days to appeal. Legal experts say they are under no legal obligation to do so, and they could let Phillips' ruling stand. The moratorium on deep water drilling in the Gulf of Mexico is to be lifted. The U.S. government confirmed today, according to the BBC, the six-month ban was introduced in the aftermath of April's BP oil spill, but calls have been growing for it to be ended because of its economic impact. Before oil firms can resume deep water work in the region, they will first have to meet a range of new safety rules. A federal report said the moratorium had caused a temporary loss between 8,000 and 12,000 jobs in the Gulf. And in Michigan news, Governor, Governor Jennifer Granholm is leaving this week for France and Sweden, where she plans to meet with executives from companies possibly looking to expand or establish a presence in Michigan, according to the Associated Press. The Democratic governor is leaving Thursday for the week-long investment mission. During the France portion of the trip, she's expected to visit with car companies at the Paris Motor Show. And in Sweden, Granholm is to speak at a conference about sustainable cities. And on Exposure tonight, we have quite the show. Uh, the Fenner Nature Center is having its Apple Butter Festival this weekend, which will feature many local artists, including Ben Hassinger, as well as Mighty Medicine. And they are in the show. They will be on the show tonight to perform. Also on the show, we will have an interview with Ben Folds, conducted by Torch and Twang co-host Nick Van Heis. Also on the show, we'll be talking about the biggest wind farm in Michigan, which will begin construction next month. But up next, Emily Lawler reports on MSU's partnership with Whirlpool for the Habitat for Humanity campus build. The project will be completed this week. Construction management, a major through the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources at Michigan State University, is a lot of work. Students learn how to properly outfit and manage the construction sites of everything from homes to skyscrapers. But students are getting their lessons hammered in this fall by volunteering on a construction crew for Habitat for Humanity. We have uh at least three CM students for every shift. They give us a lot more freedom to, uh, you know, kind of lead our own groups because, you know, we have a, a little bit more knowledge than uh, some of the other students. That's construction management senior Jim Grenier, who has worked on Habitat for Humanity projects since he was a junior at Dakota High School in Macomb, Michigan, near Detroit. Working with the skilled tradesmen and craftspeople on these projects helps drive home the things he learns about in class. Yeah, I mean, we definitely get to see a lot of the uh, um, materials that we learn about in the books. You know, actually uh, be able to hammer, uh, you know, two by fours in with nails. And we're, we're doing siding right now, um, doing some lap siding. Um, just being able to, you know, get that practical experience. The house is being constructed for MSU graduate student Anna Malvisi, a single mother of three. It's the Habitat for Humanity's first home being built off-site. The home is part of the 2010 Whirlpool Building Blocks Initiative, Whirlpool Corporation's signature program with Habitat for Humanity. Habitat for Humanity's student volunteers set up shop at the corner of Mount Hope and Farm Lanes, where they set up a modular frame. A few weeks later, they trucked the home to its final destination at Washington and Jolly Roads. As you see, our students are volunteering. Work um, Building off-site does require different techniques. Um, there's different types of um, design work that's going to be involved. Jonglim Han Yu is an undergraduate advisor for MSU's construction management students. Aside from the School of Planning, Design, and Construction students grouped from the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, the MSU Student Chapter of Habitat for Humanity, the MSU Police, and university faculty and staff members are helping to construct the project. For the faculty and staff, um, Although we're part of Michigan State, this is our community. You know, we live here. And this is 
where we live and breathe and work and research. And so this is a way for us to give back as well and work with our students. And when the last nail is pounded in, there will be more than one kind of homecoming. The ceremony transferring the new house's keys to its owner will take place during halftime of the homecoming football game against Illinois. Han Yu says that construction management students have worked on Habitat for Humanity homes before, but there will be a lot of heart and Spartan spirit put into the home built this fall. This one's more closely because it, it, it involves our, one of us. It's a student, so it's like, you know, it's one of their peers. And I think when that happened, they're like, let's get involved. For ANR Communications, I'm Emily Lawler. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. In the studio, I have Ben Hassinger here. Um, he's here to perform as well as talk about the Ferner Nature Center and its Apple Butter Festival that will be going on this weekend. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, thanks, Emily. So tell me a little bit about this festival. Well, at uh, Fenner Nature Center is one of the most beautiful parks, certainly in mid-Michigan, if not the state, as far as a city-owned park. There's lots of nature trails. Uh, they do a lot of educational outreach to schools. And uh, once a year, they have what they call the Apple Butter Festival. And if you've never had apple butter before, one, it's made out of apples, believe it or not. And uh, they, a big, they take bushels and bushels of apples and they core them, peel them and core them, and put them in this big pot, mix in some spices, and they stir it. That's the big thing. There's this big pot sitting over an open flame and you have to constantly stir it for hours on end or else it'll burn and uh, so they have volunteers that keep coming in and they have this big paddle and they stir it and stir it and stir it and I brought my uh, I teach English as a second language with adult students from around the world for Okemos schools and I brought my group out this morning and we got the whole tour of the place and how they make the apple butter and we all got to taste some apple butter which was great is, is it like applesauce? It's kind of like thicker applesauce. And you can spread it on bread, put it on muffins. Some people put it on things like pork chops. And it, it's kind of, yeah, it's like thicker applesauce. Is it like a Michigan tradition? It seems to be. Uh, I think it's in the Midwest, pretty much. But Michigan has had a, a long history of apple butter. And Fenner has had the Apple Butter Festival for quite a few years. So, And, and uh, I hear that you... Uh, put together a song this morning with your the adults uh, in the English as a Second Language That's program. That's right. I was laying in bed thinking, what else are we going to do this morning in my class? And then this crazy little apple butter song popped in my head. And as my friends from Mighty Medicine here in the studio know, once you get a song in your head, you've got to get it out of your head and into your fingers, right? And write it down. So that's what happened about 5.30 this morning. <laughs> well, and also I should, I should mention that, that our friends, the Mighty Medicine, um, they'll also be performing at the festival this weekend. We will interview them in a little bit. But um, right before this show, Ben, you started playing and they joined along and it was kind of an impromptu group session. Yeah. So how about let's, let's, can you perform the, the apple butter song for us? This is, yes, it's called the apple butter song. Isn't right. that a coincidence? Apple butter song for the <laughs> apple butter festival. <laughs> One, two, three, four. You gotta stir, stir, stir the apple butter. Have a taste, then have another. Really seems too good to be true. I love it almost as much as I love you. You gotta pick those apples off the tree, throw them in the pot, and let them heat. Add some sugar, cinnamon, spice Stir, stir, stir until you get it just right You gotta stir, stir, stir the apple butter Have a taste and then have another It really seems too good to be true I love it almost as much as I love you an apple butter sandwich with your favorite bread or put it on pancakes and waffles instead it's great on muffins and pork chops too you can lick apple butter right off of the spoon stir stir that apple butter have 
have a taste and then have another It really seems too good to be true I love it almost as much as I love Stir, stir, stir the apple butter Have a taste and then have another It really seems too good to be true I love it almost as much as I love to Yes, and in the studio is Ben Hassinger, and uh, Mighty Medicine also accompanied him, but uh, that is his song called Apple Butter. Uh, the Fenner Nature Center will be having its Apple Butter Festival um, this Saturday and Sunday. So, Ben, can you tell us about the, the musicians that will be at the festival this weekend? Well, I was, uh, I was asked to put together the musical lineup, and uh, I was really happy that I had some nice contributions from some of our, uh, our best artists in the area. On Saturday, we have my friend Cindy McElroy, who's done uh, a program about Alzheimer's and to raise awareness and raise funds for uh, Alzheimer's families that uh, can't afford the housing and the care for that. We have the Lansing Area Ukulele Group playing Laugh, which I run uh, once a month at Elderly Instruments. And at our meetings, we have 25 or 35 people to get together every month and play ukuleles and everybody smiles when they play the ukulele it's so much fun so we're going to have some of our group there dorothy cooley from grand rapids who has a real nice jazzy bluesy feel the wednesday night kitchen band which one of our ukulele group members is in and mighty medicine on uh, saturday they've been uh, they've been together a year and a half but i swear they've been together much longer than that because they sound so good and everybody loves them and they're always smiling when they play, too. So we're really looking forward to them. Art Cameron, a friend of mine who's a horticulture professor here at Michigan State, oh. he's got a fun, goofy sense of humor. And Hall and Morgan, which is a little more uh, traditional type of folk duo with a little contemporary flair. Then myself doing a solo set, and we're finishing the whole... Uh, weekend off with the fabulous Heftones, which uh, Brian Heffern on ukulele and Lynn Hirschberger on, it looks like a big giant banjo and it's a bass. And they play a bunch of songs like from the 30s and 40s and everybody just loves them a lot. So it's going to be big fun. So what kind of songs will you be performing? Well, I do, uh, I play guitar and ukulele and I've got two, two of my songs about the Detroit Tigers are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I'll be playing those and I've got a bunch of really silly songs, but I also have some serious, thoughtful songs too, just like any good singer-songwriter should have. So it'll be a real mix of things, uh, some of the Mystic Shake songs of the band I'm in, Mystic Shake, some of them. I plan a duo Blue Jello, be some of those, and then some of my own solo things. So. Now, you've been a Lansing musician for a long time, right? I know, forever, <laughs> it seems. Now, we've had uh, Mystic Shake since 1992, and actually this will be the last year for Mystic Shake because Dick Rosemont, our percussionist, who also owns Flat Black and Circular, will be moving to Santa Fe by the end of the year. So we'll have some big going away party and have a lot of fun with that. But it's been a great run. Most bands don't stay together for 18 years. <laughs> so that's been, that's been really wonderful. And the ukulele group's been a ball. And it's been fun just getting involved in the greater Lansing musical community. So it's a great, great group of musicians around here. Well, I'm curious, since you've been involved in the Lansing music scene for a long time, I'm curious, what are your thoughts of, of how it is now compared to when you first started getting involved in the Lansing music scene? Well, it's kind of interesting. When I first really started getting involved was probably in the early 70s when I just got out of high school and was going to college. And we used to of course, go out to the bars and see a lot of bands, but we'd also go see a lot of acoustic musicians. That's when people like Joel Mavis and Kitty Donahoe and uh, people were playing here. And uh, there, it was a real richness of acoustic music at the time, and then it seemed to go away for a while. And now over the past, oh, four or five years, I've really seen a resurgence in the area with people like uh, uh, Seth and May, uh, Jen Sigat, Sam Corbin, all those people, Mighty Medicine, uh, it's really, it's, it's fun seeing a, a younger group now coming back to Roots music 
and acoustic music and there's some amazing amazing musicians out there right now so now you you said you you came up with this apple butter song this morning <laughs> with um your adults in the English as a Second Language program. Talk about that program and your involvement in it. Well, it, it, I was... Uh, <laughs> I'm really showing my age here tonight, but I graduated with a degree in, in uh, elementary education, special education, over 25 years ago at Michigan State. I never used it. I went directly into business, into sales and sales management. And last summer, I had the opportunity to uh, teach in Vietnam, and I taught American culture through folk music at a university in Canta, which is south of Saigon, on the Mekong Delta. And it changed my life. I enjoyed it so much, I quit my job that I'd had for 15 years and decided I wanted to teach and use music to help teach English and then travel the world doing that. And... Um, all of a sudden, then I got this job with Okamas teaching English as second language students, and I use a lot of music because it helps with pronunciation. It helps them remember things, and it's just more fun. You know, we all learned our ABCs with a song, and uh, I've, I've just found it's a real good way to kind of really get it in their mind and make it stick and have some fun doing it. And then I teach a creative class with adult foreign students at Michigan State, too, where we've done everything from write songs. We wrote a blues song about being away from home and being homesick. And we've written haiku and and stories. And tomorrow I'm having them all to my house and we're going to have a creative cooking class, which is basically a good excuse to have a party, but we, we can call it educational. <laughs> well, that's excellent. So, Well, we have about two minutes left. Can you take us out with a song? Yeah, I've got this song. Uh, this is a song I do a lot for kids, and I do for my uh, English as Second Language songs. Oddly enough, it's a Bob Dylan song. And I'm going to see, I give clues about animals, and I want to see if you in the studio here can figure out what animal I'm talking about. Man gave names to all the animals In the beginning In the beginning Man gave names to all the animals in the beginning, a long time ago. Okay, now listen here. You saw an animal like to snort. Horns on his head and they weren't too short. The rhino. Oh, there was nothing he couldn't pull. Pull is the word. Nah. It rhymes with pull. He had horns on A bull. A bull. Who got it first? Deshaun? Deshaun did names to all the animals here in the studio on a Tuesday night. Deshaun did names to all the animals in the studio a couple minutes ago okay now the rest of you've got a chance you saw an animal leaving a muddy trail with a dirty face and a curly tail it's a pig Shh. <laughs> wasn't too small and he wasn't too big okay Larry Think a call it a pig. Alright. <laughs> Larry gave names to all the animals. Yes, I did. Here in the studio. He's a real smart guy. Larry gave names to all the animals. <laughs> here in the studio. A long time ago. So that, I do that a lot. I do that with my students, actually. My adult students enjoy this, but kids, too. And they say it, and sometimes they come up with the most random animals. Like well, I, I, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Or, <laughs> but then I always say their name in it, and they, they laugh, just like they're uh, good. <laughs> well, Ben Hassinger, thank you so much for joining us sure. tonight. He'll be performing Sunday at 2.30 at the Ferner Nature Center. Fenner. Fenner Nature Center Apple Butter Festival. Mouthful. <laughs> and for more information, you can go to mynaturecenter.org. Also in the studio, that'll also be performing at the festival, we have Mighty Medicine here. Welcome All to right. the show. Hello. Glad to be here, Emily.
So, so you guys have been together, as Ben said, for about a year and a half now. Yep. Um, where do you guys usually perform, and how did you guys form? Well, we uh, we formed uh, about a, oh, we met about three years ago. A, co- a friend of ours, a common friend, said that to me, "You got to meet Deshawn." And play music with her, and then I think at the same time she was talking to Deshaun, saying, "You got to meet my friend Larry." And eventually, we hooked up, and uh, we we decided to become a band. Uh, June of two thousand nine, and we've been been uh, playing nonstop since. And what are your musical backgrounds? Well, my family's just a musical family, and um, I've been singing ever since I was four, and I went to school here at Michigan State for jazz studies and then I decided to do Mighty Medicine full-time. Right. And we both started playing, when both when we were in elementary school, we played the clarinet, so we had uh, some connection there to begin with. Do you, do you play the clarinet at all in any of your songs? We have, but not, not, not normally. <laughs> <laughs> now I heard within the first few months that you guys started performing together, you guys put together 50 songs or so? So you guys are are making a lot of songs together. Talk about what what are your songs usually about? What kind of genre would you classify it as? Folky rock soul, folk rock and soul, a mixture of those three, I'd say. And um, we've been writing. We just sit down at the piano and just come up with songs. Yeah, and we have a lot of jazz. I think Deshaun is a great singer, and she brings in. Uh, uh, the realm of jazz and, and blues also to the table, so we're, it's really a great mix. Really great mix. So you guys, can you can you play a song for us? Sure. Sure, we'll play uh, one of our theme songs here. Mighty Medicine, right. <laughs> which is Larry Newhart as well as Deshaun Sneed, and they'll be performing Saturday at 4 p.m. at the Fenner Nature Center Apple Butter Apple Butter Festival. <laughs> so, where do you guys usually perform at? Well, we play um, a lot of different places. We play. I have to say, we do every single kind of show that there is. We play at clubs. We play at retirement homes. We play at weddings, private parties. Um, our Thursday night, uh, we're playing at the Chrome Cat 
in Old Town. That's this Thursday, and we're playing from 8 until midnight. And we're one of the house bands at the Chrome Cat. They really like us there, and we've been probably playing there for over a year now. Very nice. And where did you get the name, your band name, Mighty Medicine? Well, in 2007, I just woke up in the middle of the night, kind of like Ben earlier, <laughs> and the name Mighty Medicine Music came to me, and then that was one of the first shows that Larry and I performed together at Magdalena's Tea House when it was still open. That was a great venue. Sure I was. love Magdalena's Tea House. Where, what are your favorite venues to perform at locally? The Chrome Cat. Chrome Cat, we love it there. We play at Stober's in, in Lansing. We've uh, played at The Loft. Mm -hmm. um, we play at a lot of the cafes in town as well, but uh, we we do a little bit of everything. We we've had uh, we usually play around twenty to twenty five shows a month, and uh, we're working. We're going to Chicago next week. We're going to spend uh, almost a week in Chicago, touring there, and then after that we we got a Traverse City tour for a week, and we'll be playing up. We got ten shows up in Traverse City in the first week of November, so we're we, we're gigging all over the state. So what are your hopes as performers uh, playing together? Do you want to stick around Lansing? Do you want to go elsewhere? Well, I like living in Lansing. I always like to perform in Lansing, but going elsewhere is nice, too. Yep, we're planning to travel. Maybe in the winter, uh, we're planning to go down to Florida and play. Yep, so we want to play outside of Lansing, but we uh, want to live in Lansing. <laughs> As, at least as our main base. Yeah, and we appreciate all our friends here, like Ben and Emily. Thanks for inviting us here. Yeah, no Lansing. Problem. Lansing is a great place. But uh, Chicago uh, next week's our first uh, first trip out of the state. We played everywhere from uh, Traverse City to Detroit so far, and we're uh, ready to, to to bust out. <laughs> Very exciting. Well, can you play another song for us? Sure. This is a song uh, that's going to be on our new CD that's going to come out uh, hopefully before Christmas. All right, Michigan Rock and Roll.
south if you live in Michigan. It's time they remembered our name. We're more than a shutdown factory. We've got something to claim. We're only as strong as our weakest link. So get up, stand up, and shout. I was born and raised in Michigan. I know just what it's all about. Michigan rock and roll. Praise the times, Michigan rock and roll. Michigan rock and roll. Praise the times, Michigan rock and roll. Michigan rock and roll. Praise the times, Michigan rock and roll. Michigan rock and roll. Break the times, Michigan rock and Well, in the studio, we have Mighty Medicine, composed of Larry Newhart, as well as Deshaun Sneed. They'll be performing at 4 p.m. At, on Saturday at the Fenner Nature Center for the Apple Butter Festival. For more information, you can go to mynaturecenter.org. And Mighty Medicine, is there anywhere where people can go for more information about you guys? Yeah, we have a Facebook page. Uh, it just says Mighty Medicine. And you can look it up uh, as Mighty Medicine on MySpace, Facebook, or Google us. And how about you, Ben Hassinger? BenHassinger.com. All right. All right. Now, up next on Exposure is um, an interview with, with Ben Folds, another Michigan artist. He's a native of Michigan. And this interview is conducted by Torch and Twain co-host Nick Van Heis. You're listening to WDBM, East Lansing, where my friend got his bicycle stolen. I know you've done a, a, some collaborative works before, um, but how did this, your new album, Lonely Avenue, uh, with Nick Hornby, how did uh, this collaboration differ from ones you've done in the past? Well, I mean, I think working with other people is one thing. Collaborating is, uh, is, 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 is you know, that's the whole nine yards, you know. Um, yeah. that's, that's writing the songs together. <clears throat> and um, yeah, in, in that way, it was it was a total collaboration. <clears throat> Things I've done before, you know, producing records for um, Amanda Palmer and William Shatner, yeah. and um, guesting and doing things like that. Um, th those were all much smaller. Um, really, th th that was that was less collaboration. So this is the most collaboration that 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 I've done. Okay. Um, so Nick was more involved in the process then, right? <clears throat> yeah, he wrote all the lyrics. So I, that I consider that. The centerpiece of the album. Um, okay, so was it working? Was it weird working with uh, someone else's lyrics? I didn't find it strange at all. I mean, especially since I'm a big fan of Nick's uh, writing, uh, and and I find it easy to believe, easy to sit inside, and it makes me think. So all the those are all the things that you know I, I want to be doing when I'm writing a song. So I didn't find it tough, and I and I think as well he geared the lyrics to to a certain extent. To, uh, uh, to 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 my music, even though the, the lyrics came first, he knew who he was working with and and has all my records and and I think that that showed in the lyrics. Okay, um, so were you given total freedom musically then? Oh yeah, I mean we we were we stayed out of each other's departments altogether. Okay, you know he 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 would send a completed set set of lyrics and I I would make music to it. Okay, and so in the liner notes. Uh, there's a there's a really funny email that you sent to Nick about the song Belinda, where you were detailing the recording process of the song and yeah. how you're sort of struggling with it. And uh, I guess this is this is sort of a three pronged question because um, you allude to the fact that there uh, that there's a line from a classic song or a melody from a classic song in there. Um, so what is that song? Because I listened to that to Belinda maybe like six times today, and I still can't find it. Well, no, no, it's, it's not that it's a, it's, a, it's a song that exists. It's alluding to a massive hit song that didn't exist. Oh. You know, the idea is that we're supposed to believe that the, that the singer has a big hit called Belinda from the 70s and that he, he's sick of singing this song. So he's, 
he's rewritten the lyrics in his head while he's pointing the mic out to the audience to sing. And it's like a one-hit wonder guy who, who had something, you know, a long time ago, and now his audience, like, clings to this song, but he's not with this woman, Belinda, anymore and doesn't care. Uh, so he's, he's, you know, he's singing, he's singing another version. So what I had to do was make a melody that you would believe would be a big hit that had been a big hit like 30 years ago. Okay. That's what I meant. So I guess that would be pretty intense then. <laughs> yeah, and all that needs to be implied as well, um, you know, in the song. Had I not written that email and you hadn't uh, read that, I think you would probably get that about the song, uh, li- listening to it. Yeah. But it's like, it's, 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 like, it's like Nick's work. You know, one reads a short story, they got to sit down and actually read it. And and that's that's the way this this album is, and and uh, it's you're you're sitting with little stories, snippets of people's lives that you know hopefully that they can fly by and work as you know work as you know back background music or work in the way that a pop song would work, but then if you sit with it, then you you get more and more out of it, and that's the advantage of working with a novelist rather than a musician. So was was the entire recording process uh, that detailed and like that complicated and everything like that? Um, it's not that it's it's complicated. Um, to me, it doesn't seem complicated. But it's that you know, uh, since these are stories, they're starting from the beginning. If that makes any sense, or they're still, right. you, you're introducing characters, a time in their life, a moment during that time, and, and like you know, like some sort of pivotal event. Most of the time in a song, the listener adds all of that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, 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 and I will always love you, blah, blah, blah. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna insert your face on, in the Hallmark card, and then you're going to insert your girlfriend's face and, and have you sing it to her. But what, what these, these next songs are, they, they are more involved because you're creating a whole story instead of, a vague thing for you to put your face into. Okay, so it's like kind of entering into a fully thought-out world as opposed to like with most songs where you sort of fill in the gaps. Yeah, and I like the fill in the gap thing too. Like I, I think that's, I think that's one of the beautiful thing about pop songs, you know. And and and, and to that extent, these aren't quite pop songs, you know. Right. Uh, and, and and you know that's just it. Just is what it is. I I like making records that. I think really haven't been made before, and I don't feel like that one. If it's been made, it hasn't been made much. Where most pop records have been made, literally billions of times. Right, and uh, as you said, like this, maybe this... millions, maybe not billions, <laughs> bordering on billions. You bore... Yeah, close. <laughs> um, but like this record does feel like sort of like a a classic pop record in sound, like yeah. with the. With like the string arrangements and things like that, was that a, a deliberate uh, process, or did that sort of just kind of fall into your lap? Well, it seemed like the natural thing to do. I, I really like working with Paul Buckmaster. I've never quite given Paul, in the times we've worked together, the sort of um, proper musical space in which to work. Mm-hmm. I've always given him tracks that were already fairly well fleshed out, and so... Um, you know, he had to do his best to dodge and weave, um, and, and so that's that was you know to me. I thought this is a really good, this is a good time for me to leave some space and let Paul do what he does. And the total package of the record really seems sort of classic as well, with the picture, the sort of retroish looking picture, yeah. and the liner notes and everything. Was that also like a, a constructed like you wanted it to feel a certain way when you looked at this album? I think so. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, like it's it, it, it harkens to an era a little bit that um, people took a little bit more time with a record, mm-hmm. and um, you know, but it, but it, it, it certainly like puts its money where its mouth is. In other words, if 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 someone can be slowed down to get the lyrics out, listen to this, and sit between the speakers. Yeah. They'll actually get something for that. You know, it's not just sort of a style. I think a lot of times we we like to make retro-y looking and sounding records, and you get into the middle of them, and it's like, well, I slowed down. I sat here with my my, my beer and, and the and the lyrics, and 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 now it's just like it just it's not going anywhere. And I really feel like the album goes somewhere the more that you listen to it. I think on the onset, 
one might hear the record and think, oh, it sounds like a pop record, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but I think he's still, you know, you know that there's something a little fishy, like it's a little wordy. Yeah. And um, and I think that you know, I would know then that oh, there must be a lot to be said. Like there's something going on here, and that would make me pay attention. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so with uh, with the line, like the email and the liner notes, and just the pa- total package in general. Like, how do you? What are your thoughts on the record industry? industry today where someone can buy this album online and you know they don't really get the total um experience maybe well i mean i think that's anyone's right you know like i think that's fine with me i think you should make a record where if you put down the needle anywhere in the record you know you get something out of it and and so you can buy one song or listen to the first part of the song and i think all that's just fine what the way that we sort of packaged it does is let you know that if you wanted to listen to it this way you get something out of it oh. and it's not that radical you know it's not like the the uh, flaming lips record where there was like four cd set that you played in different jam boxes all at once yeah right it just it, but but in some ways it's like that because it's just it's just saying, you know, if you slow down and you listen to it it's gonna work, but I don't get precious about it. If someone wants to listen to it, you know, just one song at a time on their iPod, that's fine. It's made to do that too. Okay. So the first song off of the album, A Working Day, has some pretty scathing uh things about blog culture. Um do the lyrics Oh, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, no, I, I know why you say that, but uh, but like really, what I get out of it is just the insecurities of a writer. Okay. You, you know, someone said, someone thinks, you know, here's here's what his character is doing. You know, the, the first verse is going, I could really be a writer. I could do it. You know, I write these stories, and my sister thinks it's good. It mm-hmm. could be good. But what he's done is he's put his faith into what someone else thinks, his sister. So then as you go along through the song, it's like then the next step is he's made it and he's big. But there's this other guy that gets better reviews than him, and that really bums him out. And then he opens his computer one day, goes online, and sees that someone thinks he sucks. And so then he just feels like nothing. He says, I'm a loser, I'm a poser, I can't do this, it's all over. So that's, that's, what, that's where he's going with that. I can do this, really, I'm good enough I'm as good as them, but don't take it from me Ask my friends, ask my sister They all think my stuff is great Affair with any of them I just need a break I'm a genius, really, I'm excellent Better than them, I kick their ass All of them, even that guy all of the attention He doesn't sell sh- does he? Some guy on the net thinks I suck And he should know He's got his own blog Some guy on the net thinks I suck And he should know He's got his own blog I'm a loser, I'm a poser You are tuned to Impact Exposure. Again, that was an interview with Ben Folds conducted by Torch and Twain co-host Nick Van Heis. And on the phone, I have uh, Breckenridge Village Manager Jeff Ostrander, and he's here to talk about uh, the impact of wind farms in Michigan because the largest wind farm in Michigan is going to be built next month in the village of Breckenridge. So welcome to the show, Jeff Ostrander. Oh, thank you very much. So talk a little bit about this wind farm project and, and how Breckenridge was, was chosen to, to house, now be the, the, the home of the largest wind farm in Michigan. Sure. Uh, a company named Invenergy out of Chicago um, 
did some analysis on the state of Michigan, and they found out that Gratiot County, where Breckenridge is located, has some of the best inland wind, um, optimum wind speeds for this type of farm in the state of Michigan. Now, where is Breckenridge? It's very, very right in the center of the Lower Peninsula, almost in the direct geographical center of the Lower Peninsula. See, what, when, when I've been thinking about wind farms, I usually think about towns that are by um, Lake Michigan or something. So that's, I find that interesting that it's kind of smack dab in the middle of the state. Well, if you, if you come through this area, you'll realize that uh, it's, it's pretty flat, not a lot of hills, and it's mostly agricultural farmland. Now, I read that uh, Gratiot County Board of Commissioners member Patricia uh, Gillis said that farms could earn up to $80 per year per acre for every acre with a wind turbine. So when I'm thinking of farms earning, you know, $80 per year per acre, um, I'm thinking of people that already have farms that they're growing crops on or something like that. And so mm-hmm. my idea of a wind farm is is people that are already farmers now taking these turbines. But what, what is a wind farm? Well, in, in, uh, in Michigan, um, I think most people are used to seeing what, the, what they look like in the, in the movies and photographs out west where they've got a line of, uh, of wind turbines. Um, but in Michigan, what they're trying to do is, is lessen the impact on the agricultural land, and these wind turbines will be sporadic. And there's 125 of them going to be placed in a 30,000-acre uh, area. So they won't be lined up. They'll be sporadic throughout that 30,000 acres, and it, uh, it creates less of an impact on the environment. Um, it doesn't change the farming methods. They'll be able to farm right up to the road that goes back to the turbine over the road and continue farming. So there's very little impact on the actual farmland. Now, are there other wind farms in the state already? There are. There's, there's uh, one in McBride up north, and then there's one that I know of in the Thumb that's been quite successful. Now, the energy that's created through these wind farms that's, that's going to be um, built in Breckenridge, Ridge, where does a lot of that energy then go to? Well, primarily um, when you sell the energy, it goes onto the grid, and it can, it can be used anywhere. It can be used in California. But I think the idea with this particular company has a lot to do with the need for energy in the Midland area with uh, several uh, projects uh, going over there, one being the Hemlock Semiconductor. Um, they produce silicon uh, technology for solar. And the Dow Company as well is in need of, of, of greater amounts of energy. Now talk about uh, talk about Dow. I hear that that you know the area of Gratiot County is is looking at a lot of different types of green or alternative technologies. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Gratiot County actually Dow's uh, located in Midland County, okay. uh, which is right next to us, and uh, they've been there for years and years. Of course, I think everyone knows who they are, um, but they're getting ready to diversify and and get into a lot of this green uh, renewable energy technology as well. Uh, one thing they have going is a lithium um, battery plant um, that'll probably uh, power the cars of the future. They're working on construction as we speak. They're currently um, looking to hire a hundred people for that um, location in Midland, Michigan. And they also have a uh, product that is a uh, uh, a shingle that is is solar. It gets put applied to a home just like any shingle would but it has solar technology in it so that it, it can produce energy for the homes. They've also invented that, and they're getting ready to break ground on a facility that will produce um, those shingles. Now, I also understand that um, some of the energy that these wind farms will produce in Breckenridge are also going to go help with the school system budgets? Um, well, the way that the, the area will uh, receive revenue is from personal property tax. Um, the wind turbines have a value, of course, and so the county will receive personal property tax um, from these turbines, and then that trickles down to the local schools, the townships, um, different organizations within the county, and, of course, uh, the landowners themselves will receive revenue in the same way uh, from the personal property tax. 
And what has the residents of Breckenridge or Gratiot County's reaction been so far to this idea of having the biggest wind farm in Michigan be in that area? Well, when you look at Michigan right now in the, in the state of the economy, any, anybody that's willing to invest $400 million uh, smack dab in, in your little community uh, is, is very well received. Um, it, it, it's going to, we're not sure what the impact's going to be as far as the spinoff from having the largest wind farm in Michigan, um, but it certainly can't hurt, and it's going to help the local landowners. Uh, actually, there's about 240 families that are going to receive uh, $100 million over the next 20 years, so it's, it's been very well received. And do you think that, that wind is going to be the big thing in the future that's going to power Michigan? Uh, you know, I think when you, when you start talking about alternative energy, I don't know that anything is, is the magic solution, but I definitely feel that anything we can use to get away from fossil fuels and get into the renewable energy is a big step in that direction. I think in the future we're going to see a diversified um, cornucopia of things that create energy for us, and I don't know that wind will be the, the answer, but I think it's part of the new answer. And what do you think, having Gratiot County be home for the largest wind farm in Michigan soon, what do you think that means for your community as well as the state? Well, as far as our community, um, it's, it's going to mean, uh, in, the, in the short term, 150 uh, skilled labor jobs, um, which is, which is going to be uh, very big for our area. It's, it's, it's much needed, as, it, as anywhere in Michigan would right now. And then in the long term, of course, it's going to have some full-time high-tech worker jobs, about 15 for this particular wind farm. But I think Gratiot County as a whole, just the work we've done to pave the way for this wind farm as a, as a collective group in Gratiot County, I think we're going, to, we're going to have a very good possibility of more of these turbines going up in the county. Well, I was, my next question was going to be, since this will be the, the largest wind farm in the state, how long do you think that it'll take before another one pops up that'll be larger than this project or this wind farm? You know, I hope it doesn't take very long. I, I, think, this is a, I think this is a good answer for Michigan's economy. Um, I hope that other investors see the opportunity to maybe produce um, some of the wind technology and, and make some of the components of these turbines. Uh, so I hope that um, that it, it doesn't take long. I also hope that because we've already paved the way in Gratiot County with some of our countywide ordinances, um, that this continues to grow and and is maybe will maintain the uh, the size to compete with. Um, but I, I think uh, I think we're in a good environment in Michigan, and I really hope to see a lot of these going up. Now, I understand that the 125 wind turbines that will be put in Gratiot County could have the potential to power 54,000 homes. Mm -hmm. um, is that going to be across the state? I know you mentioned that sometimes it could, it could power something in, in California, but where would you like the energy to go? And do you think that a lot of those, you know, possibly 54,000 homes will be in your, your immediate area? You know, I don't know exactly where the energy is going to go, and I don't know if it's if it necessarily would go to homes. It, it was a good way to to uh, create the vision of what the size and scope of this project is when you start thinking about fifty four thousand homes. Um, but it's just good to see that there's something besides a fossil fuel creating the energy to to power that large of amount of of homes. And I just think it's a wonderful step in a new direction that, that the world needs to head in. Now, my last question is, what do you think the biggest challenges we face in, in regards to, to doing a project like, you know, making wind farms? And, and what are your hopes um, for the future? I think the biggest challenge is educating the community, um, making sure that they don't feel like this, this is going to be a negative, they, that they can only see the positives. You know, there's, they're, they're huge. They're massive structures. And if, if the majority of the people can see that and have the vision that this is the future, you know, we have to, at some point, get away from the fossil fuels. We have to limit our dependency on foreign oil, and this is definitely uh, the future. I think that's the, the biggest obstacle is, is educating the public. 
Well, on the phone is Jeff Ostrander. He is the uh, village manager of Breckenridge, located in Gratiot County, which will soon be home to the largest wind farm in Michigan. Um, the project will begin next month. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you, Emily. And up next... You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. I'm Colleen Burkar for the Michigan Storytelling Segment. You know you're in Michigan when football rivalries are bigger than presidential elections. Major decisions are made in autumn. It's a toss-up in Michigan as to which outcome has more importance. A, who will be the next president, or B, who will be the next Big Ten football champion? If you answered B, chances are you have some fondness for the University of Michigan, whose football team has been on the winning side of the Big Ten for decades. Next question. Which gridiron rivalry has met with more heart-stopping anticipation? A, U of M versus MSU, or B, U of M versus OSU? If you answered A, you're a Spartan, B, you're a Wolverine. Wolverines favored the Ohio State competition because it's been going on longer, the premier battle having taken place in 1903. The competition with Michigan State didn't start until 1953 when the former Michigan State College entered the Big Ten. Often the Big Ten championship is decided with the Ohio State game, which some refer to as the biggest rivalry in the nation. Recent history saw it as a showdown between the late Woody Hayes and his former player and assistant coach, Bo Schembechler. After 20 years, the latter retired from U of M in 1989 as the winningest active coach in the nation, having never lost a season, yet never winning a national championship either. The Michigan State matchup, often called the Great Divide, forcing some families to become a version of the Hatfields and the McCoys, competes for another biggie the Paul Bunyan Trophy. Almost a Big Ten itself, the Michigan pine carving stands at least eight feet tall, wearing a cap, shirt, and blue-green pants. He's been described by University of Michigan former coach Lloyd Carr as the ugliest trophy in college football. How ugly is it? So ugly, the Wolverines said they would refuse it if they won the first year it was awarded. Not to worry, they lost 14-6. to The victories have changed hands several times over the years. At the end of the 2004 season, Michigan's record against Ohio State was 57-38-6 and against MSU, 64-28-5. The Spartans don't fret over it too much. They say, just wait until basketball season. I'm Colleen Burkhardt for the Michigan Storytelling Segment. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. Go State. Uh, That was uh, in response to our win this weekend. In national news today, a federal judge has issued a nationwide injunction stopping the enforcement of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, ending the military's 17-year-old ban on openly gay troops, according to the Associated Press. U.S. District Judge Virginia Phillips' landmark ruling today was widely cheered by gay rights organizations that credit her with getting accomplished what President Obama and Washington politics could not. U.S. Department of Justice attorneys have 60 days to appeal. Legal experts say they are under no legal obligation to do so, and they could let Phillips' ruling stand. 
The moratorium on deep water drilling in the Gulf of Mexico is to be lifted. The U.S. government confirmed today, according to the BBC, the six-month ban was introduced in the aftermath of April's BP oil spill, but calls have been growing for it to end because of its economic impact. Before oil firms can resume deep water work in the region, they will first have to meet a range of new safety rules. A federal report said the moratorium has caused a temporary loss of between 8,000 and 12,000 jobs in the Gulf. And in Michigan news, Governor Jennifer Granholm is leaving this week for France and Sweden, where she plans to meet with executives from companies possibly looking to expand or establish a presence in Michigan, according to the Associated Press. The Democratic governor is leaving Thursday for a week-long investment mission. During the France portion of the trip, she is expected to visit with car companies at the Paris Motor Show, and in Sweden, Granholm is to speak at a conference about sustainable cities. That is the news for today, and thank you so much for tuning in to Impact Exposure. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on eighty-eight point nine, The Impact.